our planet is unpredictable. I'm going to let the boat shelter me. So this is really the big concern in a storm, right? The wind and the waves and flooding. Even though we are under mandatory evacuation orders, there are a lot of people. We even heard that there's about 20 residents at a nearby mobile home park. So obviously first responders very, very concerned. We did see Daytona Beach Shores police officers taping this up. They say that they had just finished evacuating everyone from this building. The Environmental Protection Agency points toward human-induced climate change as a contributor to the volatile patterns. Last year saw an unprecedented and historic amount of severe weather from wildfires out west to catastrophic hurricanes right in our own backyard. KPRC 2's meteorologist Justin Singleton. Now for many, climate change is a polarizing topic. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Lauren and Keith, we're watching this very carefully here as the new administration's taking over. We've got new policies as well. It's something that a lot of scientists, including all of us here at the KPRC Channel 2 weather team, are going to be watching very closely. But for scientists, it simply isn't. Overwhelming evidence supports that the Earth is heating up rapidly. Not steadily, as it always has, but more quickly than it naturally should. Here is a graph showing you carbon dioxide going back for the past 800,000 years. And you'll notice two things. First of all, yes, carbon dioxide has fluctuated in our atmosphere in the past. But look at the present on the far right. Our current carbon dioxide levels are over 400 parts per million. That blows away our previous highest level. And it's also the highest it's been in the past 3.6 million years. And by the way, at that time, after that warming, global sea levels were about six feet higher than they are today. And forests were growing where there is Arctic tundra today. Welcome to the Solutionaries podcast. I'm Jeremy Allen. Our show is devoted to shining light on the dark by way of uncovering and sharing solutions to some of our biggest problems. Over the years, not unlike trends we've seen elsewhere in politics, polarization has enhanced. If we look back in time, back into the 1980s, it was not really that divisive of an issue at all. Um, so one great example is the, the Montreal Protocol in the 1980s where the whole world unified around this cause, so this was to address the ozone hole, uh, created a, a policy, and now we're seeing the benefits of that today, with the ozone hole recovering. But now, thanks to an increasingly polarized public, climate change can be controversial even to discuss. Today, we're talking about the climate crisis. Now, let's chat all about that elephant sitting in this imaginary audio space. This topic is heavily politicized. We understand that many have opinions about our climate and how we as humans can actually affect it. But our reporting is based on science and the experts looking to slow a big change too big for any one person to wrap their head around. Now this topic, yeah, it's huge. So we actually expanded our coverage, our team, to all of our markets across the country for the first time. And a lot goes into that. Uh, we had to get schedules coordinated, uh, coordinate time to meet, rethink our storytelling, a lot. There's a whole bunch of things that go on behind the scenes. But the great news is solutions were uncovered, lots of them. 
So a big thing that we can do is increase the green spaces like here at Raleigh Court Park and we can plant trees downtown, we can um, whitewash the asphalt, we can, um, we can change the roofing on some of these buildings, make it white, make it green, things like that. Certain parts of the city can be 15 degrees cooler versus some of these other vulnerable parts um, because they don't have that tree coverage. Well, trees, some of those trees have been here for like a hundred plus years. There are these huge oak trees that are providing that temperature difference. And when we protect the shoreline, we protect tourism, uh, we protect housing. They're incredibly important uh, for Florida. It's so important that a team of experts is now collaborating to protect the coral. Their group, the Florida Coral Rescue Project. To pull back the curtain a bit on the production, it was my first time meeting people across the country, all of our stations, and visiting cities that I've never been to, like Roanoke. I want to take you over here to the snow because we're talking about urban heat mapping, mm -hmm. but really this encompasses all seasons. And this is a great depiction of how asphalt versus park space or green space. So talk to me about the difference we're seeing here. I worked closely with Solutionaries correspondent Jenna Zipton while in Roanoke. Her story was focused on identifying the hotspots in the city in Roanoke and the green solutions created to slow the issue. Does somebody live in that house? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what this is, is there's a program. That voice you hear, that's Nell Boyle. She was in charge of coordinating sustainability initiatives for the city of Roanoke. She's since retired. Uh, but green and healthy homes goes a little bit further and what we do is we try and leverage different free services that would be available to low-income homeowners and then try to put those into a pipeline so they get all the services they can at one time. And so what has been done to this house to so, make it more climate friendly? I believe it started as a lead safe project um, and then uh, they came in and did the windows and repainted and you know got rid of all the lead. Um, I believe it has been weatherized and also Renovation Alliance came in and did some work here too to help um, and I don't know specifically what they did but they may have done some roof work so that they could get the weatherization because you need to have a good roof to get the weatherization and they probably did some um, other fixes like you know fixing handrails and things like that. This piece that you're hearing was produced back in early 2022. Now Jenna and I regularly check in. We talk about what's coming up in solution areas, what's going to be reported on, how we can make things better, uh, all kinds of things just to make solution areas as good as possible. But during those check-ins, we never have taken the time to unpack that very first story. Now, I'm in Detroit. Jenna's obviously in Roanoke, Virginia. So when we talk, it's on a call like this. Hey, Jenna. And this time we're discussing the process of putting that first story together. Full transparency, you haven't covered a ton of stories about the climate, right? So, Correct. so you're starting a new project, this big, huge project, corporates involved. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's solutions based, which is a new idea for many. And now you're tackling one of the biggest issues we all face, one that you probably aren't super comfortable covering. So what is your mindset when all of this is dropped on your lap? Um, well, I am a uh, researcher by nature, um, so I put together everything I could find 
<laughs> for the topic that we've covered. And our meteorologists have been great. They have been covering the topic for um, several years because Roanoke was in the middle of this big project to study how um, urban heat islands were affecting our city. And so I went to them, I got some information, I did my own research, I talked to people. And then as you know, I put together a giant, I don't even know how many pages it was. It was a lot, maybe 20 page document of... <laughs> research um, just so that I knew more about the topic than um, that I even needed to going into it. I can say this now knowing Jenna at the time I didn't know Jenna, but I can say this now that this this is 100% all Jenna. This is like Jenna to a T in my brain is like, here, Jenna, here's this thing. And then within like a half hour, Jenna knows more about it than anybody because she's done more research than anybody. All the studying goes on. You try to figure out how maybe to apply these thoughts to your general area. So where does that lead you to? What's your story about? So urban heat islands, um, it's a fancy term for where it's the hottest in a city. Um, and so they're an issue everywhere. Um, and the bigger the city, potentially the bigger the problem, especially if they haven't done anything to fix it. So Roanoke's about 100,000 people. Um, and they've been studying it now for a few years. So they have made some improvements. Um, but there are parts of Roanoke that are full of concrete. They have no green spaces. They have no trees. It's abandoned businesses, um, houses that are 100 years old, uh, pavement that is, you know, not the newest pavement. And that's where it can be 15 degrees warmer than nearby areas. And those nearby areas are places with lots of green space, lots of trees, um, businesses that may have taken it upon themselves to make their spaces more environmentally friendly. And the reason we're talking about this is because higher temperatures can cause stronger storms, flash flooding, breathing problems, heat exhaustion, and strokes. So cities really have been working to find where the temperatures are the highest so then they can add solutions um, and adding things um, like green roofs. We haven't mentioned that one. And those are places where instead of pavement, they'll add plants. Um, so that helps bring down the temperature. So when cities are designing new spaces or redoing older spaces, they can take some of these things into account to lower the temperature in that area. One of the parts of solutions journalism is poking holes, right? Like, so it, I, I think the limitations might be obvious, um, but can you maybe talk about what could potentially be roadblocks and why, why can't we do that? Why can't we just make all the roofs white? Right. Money is probably the number one thing, right? Um, you know, we could do a lot if we had the money. <laughs> uh, I could do a lot at my house. I could do a lot at my business. I could do a lot as a city. Um, but you have to invest in that, right? Um, so I think that is the immediate cost people are looking at. But they, when I'm doing, doing research about this, they said there are severe future costs if we don't invest in the immediate um, and so they pointed to for every $1 invested, smart surfaces generate more than three times the value through avoided costs. So you're asking, okay, what's an avoided cost, right? Um, disaster response, health costs, productivity. Um, they also serve to improve health outcomes and quality of life for our most vulnerable communities. Um, and some of these, you know, they did these studies and they're looking at, cool roofs in Washington, D.C., 
um, that cost benefit ratio was 8.29. So, I mean, you're talking big numbers, but where I think that again, to the limitation part, you have to find that initial investment. And when you have so many other things pulling at your purse strings, where's the priority going to be? What updates can you give about all of those things that you learned or people learned from that initial report? Um, so they are doing even more. So they've done the initial heat island study. Um, and so if you haven't seen the piece, basically people biked and drove through the city at certain points of the day, and they were able to take data at certain points of the day, where was the hottest port, where was the least hot part, and then they could then develop a plan. And so now um, they are working on the plan to help that. And the the city is actually going to roll out a climate action plan later this year. It's being presented to city council. It's 85 pages currently. Um, so there's a lot in there. Did you write that, oh, by the way? Did you write that? I did not. Okay. I did not. People much smarter than I did. <laughs> that, um, and ones that know that what they're talking about. I just take that 85 pages and boil it down. Um, <laughs> so... They are working on um, some really cool things. And I learned some really interesting facts um, that they want to, to change in here. So if we changed all of the roofs and pavements to reflective materials, heat mitigation would be equivalent to taking all the world's 600 million cars off the road for 20 years. That's a big stat, right? Um, and so urban infrastructure, so all the buildings that we have in downtown is causing big issues contributing to the heat islands. So if we just replaced all of the roofs in downtown Roanoke with a white roof, then our urban heat island would be much lower and create lower temperatures in the neighborhoods nearby too. So just one city making the investment in change and changing just to white roofs could have a big ripple effect, not only on downtown, but then the neighborhoods that border downtown, which are some of the neighborhoods that are seeing the biggest heat island effect. Um, they're also doing things with training doctors and healthcare workers to talk about heat and communicate the health risks um, because they say the first step is awareness, right? If people don't know there's a problem, then they're not going to work towards fixing it. So just making sure that the city is aware of the problem, then they'll be more invested in fixing it. Jenna and I will talk about what first impressions were like meeting each other, working together for the first time. That's coming up in just a bit. As I mentioned earlier, the climate crisis is overwhelming, not exactly breaking news, I know. There's so much to be mindful of. Like our oceans. We are really, really close to a tipping point. And all the creatures who call the ocean home. We're witnessing these coral reefs sliding into extinction. This is Dr. Michael Crosby. And as scientists, the last thing I want to do is say, we did a damn good job monitoring them into extinction. I'd rather say we did a damn good job in actually restoring them and bringing them back. And this story was produced by Eric Sandoval of WKMG in Orlando, and it presents many solutions like this. The fight to save coral has even made it to Washington, D.C. The uh, Great Florida Reef is under attack. Florida Congressman Darren Soto says he saw what's happening to the waning coral population off Florida's coast firsthand during a scuba trip to Key Largo. 
it was a real personal moment because I see uh, the decline of the Great Florida Reef and the sense of responsibility to help save it. It, it impacted you? No question. And you just see the devastation. Florida Senator Marco Rubio went on a similar trip to the same spot. Soto, a Democrat, and Rubio, a Republican, put aside their political differences and teamed up to introduce identical bills in the House and Senate. If they're both passed, the Restoring Resilient Reefs Act would make available $53 million to national restoration efforts. $15 million of that would be earmarked for projects in individual states, like the Florida Coral Rescue Project, which has been sharing money and resources. And so what we thought was really important is to, re to strengthen NOAA's uh, coral reef uh, program to allow it to partner with these local organizations and local communities and, and to drive a level of funding necessary to keep that innovation going. The bill would also provide technical assistance to nonprofits who are on the front lines of this rescue mission. But how much of that money each state would get still needs to be hammered out. It sounds like federal funding is almost vital to continuing these efforts. Oh, 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 it is. It, it absolutely is. Our crew in Jacksonville found an awesome solution for replenishing the reef system, one that intrigued many on our staff. Lauren Verno has that report. Eternal Reefs was started with the concept of trying to find a way to help preserve the ocean and the ocean environment for future generations. And at the same time, find a uh, memorialization opportunity. Eternal Reef CEO George Frankel explains, instead of a loved one being buried in a plot or put in an urn, these concrete structures are mixed with loved one's ashes, becoming an eternal reef. The reefs range in price from almost $4,000 to $7,500. And to date, 3,000 of these eternal reefs have been placed in 30 locations around the country. How do you measure the success of a reef ball after you've put it out there? And how successful have you been? In the right water conditions, we will see visible growth in as little as six weeks. But we know the contribution is there to begin with. Have your ashes become part of a solution? Pretty cool if you ask me. It's quiet, it's clean, it's renewable, it lasts, and there's no moving parts. All right, so what makes a house a good candidate for solar? Well, let's launch the drone and let's see what this house looks like. From the now, in Houston, Joel Eisenbaum took solar to task to find out if it really is worth the switch. Okay, say I'm sold on this, I'm ready to go solar. What are the costs involved? Solar panels, 20,000 on up to, to start a starter system for somebody. Batteries could start anywhere from a couple thousand dollars all the way up to 50, 60, $70,000. Microinverters, HOA approval, permitting with the city, permitting with the utility. Do you mind if I ask you how much this deal cost you? It cost almost $60,000. And do you think that's money well spent? I think it is money well spent. I think it'll pay for itself, you know, after we get these these panels paid off. We do plan on living here for a long time. So say my solar panels are doing gangbusters. Am I actually getting a check cut to me from the electric company? So depending on the plan that you're on, there are multiple companies that offer a net metering program. Different plans offer different buybacks, if you will. So when I first went solar, my first bill was a negative $45, but then it jumped to a negative 106, negative 194, negative 306. Green Mountain mailed me a check for $142.80. 
When was the last time the electric company paid you? That sound you're hearing right now, that's cool pavement topper. It looks like gray paint. It definitely is not just gray paint though. Workers are spreading it on top of a road in San Antonio. Its function is to combat the heat island effect. The product is called Guard Top, and here's how it works. Our product goes down on an asphalt surface and reflects about 45% of the sun's rays. And instead of retaining that heat all day, we're reflecting it. We like to kind of describe that it's got the look of a concrete street and you get a lot of the cooling benefits of a concrete surface without a lot of the cost. This is Dave Coleus. He's the sustainability project manager for Guardtop. We're trying to keep that heat from being trapped in. We've got to make that heat escape somewhere. And so it's reflected from that surface and back into the atmosphere. So you are going to experience some of that, that energy reflected back up. But as opposed to the alternative, where you've got all that trapped into that surface, and it's just slowly just lingering there throughout the course of the day. But overall, your whole experience is going to be that it's going to be much cooler because that that heat isn't lingering in that pavement like it is with a, a traditional black asphalt. But there have also been some groups pushing to change course and tear up the unused or overpaved places. Detroit, another city with a lot of pavement, is receiving help from small groups like Detroit Future City to turn blacktops into green spaces. In Detroit, we have to grapple with the fact that we have 24 square miles of vacant land across the city, and not all of that is going to be built development. Some of it has to be green space. This is Susan Rusinowski of Detroit Future City. Those overpaved surfaces really heat up the neighborhoods that have less green space in them, and so depaving is one of the ways that we can help combat that and really fight against those issues that are becoming more prevalent because of climate change. All right, let's jump back to that conversation with Jenna Zibtin in Roanoke from WSLS and talk first impressions. Huge story, huge problem, find all the solutions. And Who new is, person. Yeah, and new people. <laughs> Who is this guy? So what, like, I'm just curious to know, again, to pull back the curtain and show people that, like, this is an awkward situation for everyone. And it's a big thing to do together when you don't know each other's skill sets and all of those things. So I was just curious on what your thought process was when you're like, oh, okay, this is happening now. And you didn't also mention that we had less than 24 hours to make sure it all got done. <laughs> That's right. We had one day. It was like a, yes. a special ops team got together real quick for one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you made the process uh, that could have been very intimidating and challenging, much easier. So thank you. Um, you already kind of had a vision of how to tell the story. And I just kind of filled in the facts and the people. Um, so I think we both were really in our element because you knew how to tell the story. Um, and you had all these really fun tools and gadgets that we don't have here. Um, and so we were able to tell a really hard story in a hopefully easy to digest way. And then on top of that, we also didn't mention that we're telling a story about heat when there's snow on the ground. <laughs> this, Which, is, this is a crucial point because if you watch the video, you're like, what are they talking about? Right. Um, and so everybody's like, how are you going to do that story? We're going to have snow. Do we need to postpone the shoot? And I'm like, 
No, this actually works to our advantage because we can actually show this is the difference between pavement and snow, and it melts on pavement, showing that when you have more pavement covering the city, it is not a good thing. The heat is there. And then you have green grass and a big park and all of the snow was still there on the park. And so it really showed what we were trying to get across. So actually, I think it worked to our advantage. And I'd like to say that we were smart enough to where we planned that, but we did not. <laughs> we did not plan that. Hey, you know what? Sometimes in this business, it is better to be lucky than good. Yeah. In almost everything in life, I think that's yes. the case. <laughs> A big thank you to Jenna for taking the time for this discussion and all of the discussions of the past. Uh, it takes a lot of work to get all this stuff done. And to that point, thank you to all of our correspondents, all of the people working to make Solutionaries as good as it can be. And we couldn't do it without the actual people that we call Solutionaries, the people that are creative thinkers and doers in communities that are making positive impact. Thank you to them as well. Now, we know that one small solution won't fix the entire problem, especially when we're talking about an issue as large as the climate crisis. But a collection of solutions, many answers from many sources can create change. So please remember that what you do matters and collectively we can move the dial into a positive direction. So what are the takeaways here? Well, there's a ton of them. Let's talk reef balls real quick. A way to reestablish coral reefs after death by having their ashes become part of a new aquatic environment. Cooler pavement toppers designed to reflect heat rather than absorb it, reducing temperature significantly in places with a lot of asphalt. And speaking of asphalt, what about removing some of it to create more green spaces? Also a solution. There are ways to create uh, more environmentally safe roofs for homes and businesses creating new green spaces in places that were inhabited by other concrete or asphalt spaces throughout cities is also a huge thing that can make a difference. So please be part of the journey. Watch, subscribe, share on YouTube, tell your friends about us, and maybe we can make a difference together. Thanks for listening.